0: Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. Blue Bloods. <laughs> if you are an old biddy like me, and you watch Blue Bloods, good news, got renewed for another season. I think this is season 14, which makes me want to vomit because this show premiered when I was in college, and I'm getting old, but uh, yeah, it is Friday night's still biggest show, always has been, as long as it's been on the air, it's been Friday's biggest show, it still is. Everyone over the age of 60, plus me, watches the show, Um, and it got renewed this past week, Um, but what is interesting about this is not that it got renewed, because I talk about renewals and cancellations every week. It's that the entire cast took a 25% salary cut in order to get the show renewed for another season. And I don't understand why. (laughs) Like one outlet, I think it was either Deadline or Hollywood Reporter, I forget which, said that um, the main cast all took 25% reductions to save hundreds of jobs so that everyone else who works on the show could continue to be employed and that sounds like super altruistic and wonderful of them but um unrealistic i feel like um i just when you've put in the work for well over a decade like on the one hand okay i'm i'm all over the place sorry when you put in the work for over a decade, I feel like you don't take a cut. Like you want more money. You're not like I've given you 13 years, give me less now. You're like I've given you 13 years, and if you want me, you're gonna have to pay me more. Do you know what I mean? Of that, like I think I've earned my keep here, motherfuckers. But then also, I guess I don't know. The this cast is doing exactly what I personally have always wondered why every TV actor doesn't do, where they're like, okay. We're guaranteeing you work for another year. We just can't pay you the same amount anymore. And they're taking job security over... I I was about to say greed, but it's not greed at all. (laughs) They've earned the money that they are making over... I don't know, like, they're taking a guarantee of working for at least another, what, like, nine months, I guess. Um, Rather than, like, having to go audition or accept other roles or... There's no pilot season anymore. This I was going to talk about this as a separate news issue, but like it's not really news and it's but like there's no pilot season anymore at all. I think most networks have like between 2 and 5 pilots across the board, comedy plus drama, and there's just there's very little guaranteed success when it comes to like broadcast TV, and I feel like now even less guarantee of success when it comes to streaming because so many streamers are committing to things and then just not following through. I mentioned this weeks ago um that there are so many streaming services especially like HBO Max, Paramount Plus where they committed to making these shows that made them attractive to potential subscribers and to um and to like bolster their press and their media um profile and these shows just like aren't coming into existence like one of the big ones i talked about for hbo max was the green lantern tv series which i think is now dead and they're making another green lantern movie in the next dc um era plus the batgirl movie um you know like paramount plus this has debuting this week finally the grease prequel rise of the pink ladies And, uh, later in the month, the fatal attraction TV remake, which those were two of the original shows that Paramount plus announced was going to be on the streaming service when they launched like two or three years ago, two years ago, I think it was two years ago. So like it's taking forever and some, and some just aren't getting made. Like I mentioned the Amy Schumer, Amy learns how to show that's never getting made. Now it's the pan, the, the pandemic is quote unquote over, um, But regardless, I feel like it's even more of a crapshoot sometimes to try and, you know, want to do things with streaming services. So I guess these actors are being smart in that they are taking what they're being offered in exchange for a year of financial stability and job stability. But then also, like, I can't imagine, like, I have been a teacher for this fall will be my 10th year Um, And I can't imagine if I signed a contract for the fall semester and they were like, in celebration of your 10th year, you've done such a wonderful job, we are going to pay you 25% less. I would be like, I am going to give you 25% less of my time then. Do you know what I mean? like okay you want to pay me 25% less maybe maybe they are maybe they're cutting filming by 25% like when this show started when blue blood started it was 22 23 episodes a season and i think now they're doing 18 to 20 so they are they have reduced the number of episodes maybe that's also helping with this maybe they're giving them shorter shooting days maybe they're reducing the episode order i don't know if that's part of it then great then this is all for nothing But going back to my point of like, because there is no pilot season, because so much is up in the air when it comes to the way that television is being made and consumed and purchased, and I'll get into a little bit of that when I talk about the night agent today, that maybe this is smart, that even though you're taking a pay cut, that you are taking the job. I just can't imagine it felt good for this cast to get that offer. (laughs) But they all agreed to it. So there has to be something here. I feel like if it was that bad, there definitely would have been some who were like, okay, well, you can, how about I leave and you pay everyone else my salary? Um You know, the, the older shows get, the more expensive they get because of licensing fees and things like that, Um, because of cast negotiations, all that shit. So I can imagine, that's why you see actors and characters leaving shows after a long time. You know what I mean? That especially around like the season five, season six mark of a lot of shows, you see them either ending or major cast members leaving. It happened on Blue Bloods. Danny's wife, they killed off off screen in between seasons because they wrote her off. Um, they've written off the kids who are going off to college and just never brought them back. Um, that There are shows that do this on a regular basis. Like a show like Grey's Anatomy that's been on the air for 20 something years, you don't do that without writing off your major characters. sometimes. Look at SVU. I randomly was like I left the TV on an episode came on last week this past Thursday and I was like the literal only character I recognize is Olivia Benson. <laughs> like I don't know who the hell anyone else on this show is because they just will routinely write people off when their contracts expire and to cut costs so i would assume i would have assumed that if they're going to offer everyone a 25% reduction that someone would have said no and they'd be written off or killed off or whatever but everyone agreed so there has to be something else going on that we are not privy to but like and i know this is completely uninteresting to everyone who's like i'm just here for you to call Dumb white girls on Real Housewives, bitches. Like, I know that this is very insider baseball, but, like, this is the kind of shit that really got me interested in, like, TV as a business in the first place. Like, I want to say 15 plus years ago. Was that I was pissed off, never knowing why my favorite shows got canceled, and why? So I started following ratings, and then then that led me to following like behind the scenes shit like this, where it's like a show can be very highly rated, but if it's expensive, if the cast wants too much money, and it's not worth their time to continue a show without the cast. Like for example, could The Big Bang Theory could have kept on? Like it was it went out. It was still the biggest. I don't know if it was the biggest TV show, definitely the biggest sitcom. Like it was one of, if not the biggest shows on TV when it ended, but like it got too expensive. And is it worth it to keep the big bang theory around if you have to write off like Sheldon or Leonard, do you know what I mean? So anyway, blue blood's renewed 25% reduction wild, but okay. And the only other thing I wanted to talk about news wise was that, um, they're doing an X-Files reboot and it's going to be by Ryan Coogler. Who did a uh, Black Panther and Wakanda Forever, and he also did the Creed movies, and that sounds really interesting to me. Kind of diversifying, like it's it's being marketed as a quote diverse, which means not all white <laughs> um, reboot. Slash remake slash sequel. Who knows what the hell it's going to end up being of the X Files and like this to me is partly interesting because for some reason the X Files will just like pop its head back up every few years. Like it ran forever in the '90s and I think into the early 2000s and then like they made a sequel movie. They made a movie while it was on the air and it, the sequel I think came after and they made another sequel like years later. Then that movie led to the sequel series slash reboot series which which ran for a couple years and now we're getting this reboot. That, like, for some reason, every, like, five to ten years, this, like, the X-Files rears its head and it's like, I'm still here. And that, to me, is just very funny. And here we are again in 2023, potentially getting another X-Files at some point. Um, But also, I find this interesting because I think that a lot of people, and by a lot of people, I mean dumb people. And by dumb people, I mean... um, White people, and by white people, I mean people in the middle of America. You take your pick, whichever one of these groups of people, and sorry if this applies to you. No shade, but shade. Keep listening to this podcast, but also if you live in, like, I don't know, Ohio or something, you, or where, what else is a dumb state? <laughs> Florida. If you take your pick, if you live in a dumb state with dumb people who are white and dumb and uneducated and dumb, um, this might apply to you uh that diverse doesn't necessarily like they're not that they're oh oh my lord my words today that people hear the word a diverse x-files reboot and they're like it's woke go woke go broke bah holly weird and what that what what diverse a diverse x-files reboot means is not necessarily like we're taking the old thing and just putting black people in it or hispanic or asian people in it or queer people in it it's no we're going to be telling stories from a different perspective like i loved i talked about on the podcast when it came out i think it was two years ago at this point them on amazon prime which was very much a supernatural paranormal Um, thriller type series but it was it, it was what it was because it was from the perspective of black people same thing with like Jordan Peele movies his movies are wonderful but they would not and could not exist if they were not from the perspective of people of color so and they're very successful and they're really fucking entertaining so that type of lens being applied to the x-files i think could make for a really interesting and really cool and really new and fresh perspective on this like alien paranormal whatever the hell um series like the x-files is so potentially coming soon i can't imagine that an x File, like having the name recognition of the x-files and the name recognition of Ryan Coogler and Black Panther Creed. I can't imagine this doesn't get picked up somewhere at some point. Okay, renewals and cancellations. I mentioned Blue Bloods already. Netflix renewed You for a fifth and final Thank the Lord season. Paramount Plus renewed its two remaining Star Trek series, uh, Lower Decks, which is the animated kid show, and Strange World, which is the newest one for new seasons. Fox renewed Accused and Alert for new seasons next year. I'm excited about accused alert i watched all of it It was bad but whatever and um also netflix renewed the night agent for season two and i'm going to be talking about the night agent on the podcast this week canceled um the final straw which apparently was uh, a game show on abc last summer hosted by jamilly hill that was canceled showtime canceled the l word generation q after three seasons but there may be a spinoff or like a relocation coming Grownish was cancelled ahead of its upcoming sixth season, and Billions is apparently ending after its upcoming seventh season on Showtime. Okay, so this week on the podcast, uh, let's talk about The Night Agent on Netflix. Um, If you haven't watched this show and plan to watch it, uh, skip. Like, maybe 15 minutes or so because I don't really know how to talk about my feelings about the show without spoiling most if not all of it so if you have watched it go right ahead or if you don't care about spoilers go right ahead and listen um but I'll try to like let you know when big spoilers and shit are happening if I remember but The Night Agent if you have not heard of it um, the only reason I watched this show is because it was one of the biggest shows on Netflix. It's like one of the biggest premieres Netflix has had ever. I think it was like number three all time behind Wednesday and Dahmer. So huge show. And I kept getting ads for this on my Goodreads because it's based on a book by Matthew Quirk, who I do not know who that is. But I thought it was the guy who wrote Silver Linings Playbook, but it's not. That's Matthew I want to say or Len, it's, it's somebody else they're not the same person anyway I kept getting ads for it and I was like "Ooh, this guy's cute <laughs> what is this show uh and then I saw it it was like a spy conspiracy thriller it got really good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes both audience and critic and I was like I don't know maybe last week Last week sometime, I was kind of bored and I had caught up on all my stuff. I was like, why not? I'll give it a shot. I really liked the first episode. Um, So I kept watching and then it took me a long time to finish. (laughs) So The Night Agent is, like I said, based on a book. It is by Sean Ryan, who, um, if you don't know his name, you definitely know his shows. He is the creator of currently on CBS, the reboot of SWAT, which is on Friday nights. He created a new showrunner of that. And he also did The Shield. That was his first big show that he created and wrote. And that was, uh, I think, 2000 or 2001. It was Michael Chiklis. That's the show on FX. That, that's the show that put FX on the map. And it was um, the, what the hell was the name of it? The Strike Unit, I think, or something that Michael Chiklis ran. And they were all corrupt cops. And they had like a, they were like an undercover, or a secret group of the LAPD, I want to say, like, but the cops basically were, they were secret cops, and they worked underground, and they did like gang infiltration and shit, and they had like a really high success rate, and then you find out it's because they're corrupt and they're like not following, like, protocols and orders, and Michael Chiklis won an Emmy for it. It's like routinely recognized as one of the best. TV shows of all time I never watched all of it but I did watch some of it when it was on I I don't I think I watched season two and three maybe and parts of season one later on on DVD that's how old the show is and how old I am is that I got season one on DVD from Netflix before Netflix you know streamed (laughs) um Glenn Close was on it uh it was it was a great show and that really like it not only put FX on the map but it made a start of Michael Chiklis like I said I got him an Emmy and a Golden Globe Um, And it really put Sean Ryan on the map, too, and kind of gave him, like, carte blanche to do whatever he wanted next. And he had, like, a really weird trajectory after that, um, where he, like, wrote on some other cop shows. He produced Lie to Me on Fox, which was that Tim Roth show where he could detect people who were lying. He wrote on Terriers, which lasted one season on FX. And he didn't create another show until... um, like, another almost a decade after The Shield ended, and it was called The Chicago Code, and it was like a regular old cop show. Like, just, a it's cops, but in Chicago. <laughs> um, and I want to say that came on after the Super Bowl, the year that it premiered, um... But it only lasted, like, 10 episodes, I think. It did not do well. Then he had a show that I loved the next season on ABC called Last Resort that was about um, a submarine that became its own sovereign nation and refused to follow orders when they wanted to, like, nuke another country or something. Um, but then that also only lasted, like, half a season. But that one, especially in retrospect, is really good. It was just kind of ahead of its time and maybe should have been streaming and not on uh abc then he did timeless a couple of years ago and that i hated that show that got i think two seasons it was originally canceled then revived and that was about people who like went back in time to like help solve crimes like the hindenburg it was fucking weird then he came swat that's on the air for like six years and now he's got this show the night agent um and all of this is to say that like Sean Ryan's history as a creator and writer is kind of indicative of the quality I feel of the night agent where it's like there are some really high moments and then just some really blah middle of the road this is serviceable but also I don't have the time to invest in this level of mediocrity um it's very that so It's no surprise then looking and thinking over what Sean Ryan has done as a writer, creator, producer to be like, oh, of course the night. This is this is why I didn't fully enjoy the night agent. Anyway, so the night agent is about Peter Sutherland, who is an FBI agent. And the very first scene is him getting on the Metro in D.C. And we know immediately that he's a really nice guy because he gives up his seat for a lady with a child um but then he notices someone uh leave a bag on the train and then get off at the next station and he gets suspicious because he's an fbi agent but he's young and scrappy and full of piss and vinegar so is that the phrase piss and vinegar i think it is ask your grandma it's an old lady phrase um anyways he's he's full of piss and vinegar. episode title piss and vinegar so he goes over to the bag and he inspects it and he realizes it's a bomb and we're like now less than five minutes into the pilot and plot hole number one or not maybe not a plot hole but like dipshit move number one is instead of taking the bomb off of the subway and like running it into a tunnel or burying it or i don't know sacrificing himself or some shit um he goes hey people there's a bomb. Get off the train. Now, what seems easier to you? Evacuating a hundred people from a fucking train? Or evacuating a person in a bag from a train? Already already annoyed, but I'm like, whatever, this is a silly, like, action show. It's not the dumbest thing I've seen. It's dumb, but it's not like it's not, you know, brain dead. So the bomb goes off, he's all disoriented, he goes up to he's like being checked out i think one person dies but it could have been so much worse so he's like a little bit of a hero and then he's like he sees in the crowd the guy who planted the bomb so he chases him and he has a snake tattoo and they get into a fight but then he runs away and then peter gets hit by a car (laughs) and then we find out that like throughout this whole thing that like he's the only one who's seen this the the suspect so like it's they don't have a lot of leads, blah, blah, blah. And then we find out in the holding that Peter's father also was an FBI agent who was uh, accused of being a traitor. And part of why Peter became an FBI agent was to clear his dad's name. and He wants to get to the bottom of it. And now everyone's kind of like suspecting Peter of being a traitor too. Cut to a year later. Peter is now um, in charge of the night action line, which is a, a special... Phone line that operates out of the White House um, for special agents to call and give their codes and like when they're in emergencies. And he gets a call on the night action line, and um, someone is trying to kill two Secret Service agents over I already forget what because it's been seven days since I watched the episode, and that's how long things like this stick in your head when they're dumb. Uh, And he gets involved and he like he sends help to save this woman whose aunt and uncle are murdered because they're secret service agents and they're in on some shit and he goes and saves the woman whose name is Rose but then they're followed by the assassins and it starts they start to uncover this like big fucking conspiracy right um and that's basically the whole plot of the show is that there's a traitor in the white house um and it's all like linked to this big conspiracy that somehow Rose's aunt and uncle are in, and now Rose is a part of. And it goes like somewhere in the White House, there is at least one traitor. And they and Peter needs to find out who it was. But of course, because this is a political thriller and a spy conspiracy show, everyone thinks that Peter is the traitor. So dun-dun-da. Dun. Um, it's it's very uh, it's very boilerplate political thriller shit it's like it's 24 light it's very similar to i didn't watch this but um a lot of the reviews a lot of the reviews i read two reviews um one of the reviews that i read compared it to the recruit on netflix which just aired in december and got renewed for season two um but like it's one of it, it's it's not. <sighs> gather your thoughts john um it is very much in the vein of what I assume the book that it's based on is, where it's a silly popcorn thriller. And it's the kind of book that like you read really quickly. It's like, it's a beach read. It's a travel read where like, it's the kind of book you buy in an airport and read on a cross country flight and you read the whole thing in one sitting, or, you know, you pick up the book and you go to the beach for a day and then you read it for a while and then you fall asleep in the sun and then you read it a little more and then you go dip your toesies in the water and then you read a little more and then before you realize that you've read the whole thing and you're like huh what the fuck is this book about it's very much that um where it's th- there it's it and ent- it's entertaining mostly entertaining as you're watching it and then or reading it, and then you put it down or finish it, and you're like, I literally couldn't tell you a single thing about that book, but I think I liked it. That's very much what The Night Agent is like. Only for me, because I, like, to watch a show like this that is such a time commitment, I, I I'm, if you, bitch, gather your thoughts. Um, I don't really know how to express myself clearly, but also succinctly today. <laughs> um, in a setting like sitting on an airplane, sitting on the beach and reading a book like this, or if you're the type of viewer who doesn't really pay attention to shows, like you need something to like put on in the background while you're working or while you're folding laundry or while you're making dinner, or while you're doing something else and you like look up from your phone every few minutes and watch for a few minutes and then go back to doing it And then like that that's how you spend an hour is that like you're like watching 30 minutes but then also not watching the other 30 minutes where you're doing something else in 30 minutes. This is a fine show for that because it's about double as long as it needs to be. It's 10 episodes. I'm begging Netflix so many other streaming services have started to adapt where they're, you know, where they're thinking, do we really need to pay for 10 episodes of a show? Can we make this six episodes, eight episodes, four episodes? Ooh, Ooh. Scandal, four episodes. Um, because when you make a show like this, 10 episodes, and they range from like 40 to like 55 minutes an episode, you inevitably get a shit ton of filler the reason stories like this make for exciting books is that like why is James Patterson still the best-selling author in the country is because he writes or has other people write books that are like three pages a chapter so there's like 150 chapters in a book and they're easily digestible they move very quickly and you don't have to pay too close attention because it's essentially the same plot that you've seen over and over that's why these books I think are entertaining. But to me it's also why shows based on books like that and shows that maybe if they're not based on books but kind of behave in the same way as those books are unsuccessful. Is that it is so much filler. Like in this show, there are, there was my mind wandered so often between episodes like two and six. Like I said, the first episode, super entertaining. I really enjoyed it. Lots of action. Right, You know, we start with the bang, literally. Then it goes right into the night action sequence. There's car chases, shootouts, murders, assassination attempts. Like, it is an exciting 50 or so minutes of TV. Um, It's not groundbreaking. It's not intelligent. But it is fun. So I got it, right? I was like, okay, I'm going to keep watching. I was bored out of my mind for episodes like two through five. And that can't happen <laughs> so if that's episode that's two three four or five that's four episodes for me that means this episode this series could have lost four episodes and been six episodes long that to me would have been perfect um especially at the length the other episodes were once we hit like episode five through ten they start to get shorter they're now between like 40 and 45 minutes and they move quicker, they're they're burning through plot, they're, you know, moving from setting to setting. That is more exciting when you're, because when you stop and have filler, it's not only boring, it makes you think about the show you're watching. You're like, oh, this really isn't as exciting as I thought it was in that first episode. Or it gives you time to think like, well, while I'm not paying attention to this melodramatic bullshit of like this, the assassin's backstory, unnecessary, um, you know, maybe I'm going to start thinking through, like, who's behind all of this. And you, for me at least, I saw the quote-unquote twists coming from a mile away. Like, from her intro... Big spoiler. Big spoiler. Skip ahead 30 seconds. From her introduction to episode one, I was like, Diane Farr, who was the chief of staff for the White House, is the traitor. Knew it right off the bat. One, because it's Hong fucking Chow. Two... Because that's how these things work. If you are doing a political thriller and there's a traitor in the White House, it's either the vice president, the chief, it's someone high up, okay? And typically it's going to be someone like a chief of staff or a vice president. Again, big spoiler, if you don't care to know, skip ahead 10 seconds. Or in the case of the night agent, both. It's the vice president and the White House chief of staff. I'm going to pause for a second so those people who skipped can come back to us. So, when you're taking your time filling time, you're, I knew, I, I was thinking about like, okay, I'm going through my list of suspects. It's like, well, we have this person, this person, this person. It's like, I don't think it's, I, I it would be insane for it to be Peter or like for them to, for it to be his dad or something that's still alive. Like that that would be stretching plausibility even for a dumb show like this so you're left with a very small cast of characters to choose from and if you've read or seen one political thrillers conspiracy thriller you've read or seen them all right so that's number one for why we need less filler fewer episodes but then also that like in this particular case of like this show is not that good the writing is not that good the dialogue fucking sucked it was wooden as hell the acting is not very good The lead, Peter, is Gabriel Basso, who, when you look at him, like, when I saw his ad, I was like, ooh, this boy, cute. Um, I realized very quickly into the season, like, you look really familiar. Who are you? He's the little shitheaded kid from the big C. Do you you remember remember that show on Showtime? I think it ran for, like, four seasons, middle 2000s. Laura Linney has cancer, and John Benjamin Hickey is her brother who lives out of a dumpster. Her son, that little bastard on the show, Her son was played by Gabriel Basso. And that little shithead grew up to be buff and hot. (laughs) And he plays Peter. And, like, he's fine. But he comes randomly in and out of an accent sometimes. And, like, he gets sometimes, like, like he, like, gets mushy mouth, like, slurry kind of when he's talking. Which I feel like he did on the big C, too. So he's fine. Not great. The bitch playing Rose, uh, very underwhelming. Lucian Buchanan, um, and I think part of it might be that she is not, um, that she has an accent, like a native accent to not native, like Native American. She is from New Zealand, so I feel like she, maybe part of why she wasn't that great is that she was she had to put on an American accent, um, but she was wooden as. Hell, no emotions. Like in the first episode, her aunt and uncle died, and she's like, Oh my god, what? Like, that's so weird. Who literally, a line of dialogue is, Who would want to kill my aunt and uncle? Everyone loved them. That is a literal line of dialogue, both the delivery and the writing, wretched. And then, even Hong Chow, who is a recent Oscar nominee for The Whale so miscast as the chief of staff, Diane Farr. So miscast. She is robotic as fuck. She ha she's terrible. She's not good. And I'm very confused by it because she's been the highlight of most other things that she is in, but one, why she's doing the show as a mystery and two, why she's as boring as shit as she is. I don't understand either thing. Um, it's just, so it's just, it's not great. Sarah Desjardins plays the Vice President's daughter. She's doing the most, and she's probably one of the better performances, um, which is great to make up for how bad she is on Yellow Jackets, which I'll get into in a moment as well. She is uh, Callie, Melanie Linsky's Shauna's daughter. Uh, anyway, the writing is not good. The acting is not good. So when you're filling time with your weakest points, like when you're not writing great dialogue and your actors aren't delivering it well, when you're watching longer episodes where nothing's happening, it's really pointing out how sloggy this show kind of is to get through. It does pick up around episode six, and the last, like, maybe three episodes, eight, nine, ten, are good. They're exciting. They're fast-paced. They're shorter. Um, and even though, like, the, like the, the plot continues to go off the rails all the way up until the very last second of the show... Um, It's so unrealistic, so stupid, so over the top. But again, we don't tune into political conspiracy thrillers like this for realism, right? Like, we're not watching this thinking that we're going to be getting anything resembling real life. So again, which is why I think that this is appealing to so many people who are dumb, is that one, they may believe this shit is really happening. That, like, the top, pe- the people at the top of the pyramid of the government really are just all corrupt, crazy conspiracy, uh, like, cabals. But that's one. And two, is that it's a bunch of shoot 'em ups and crashes and blood and gore and blow- bombs and it's. It's a thriller. There's a conspiracy, but it's never too confusing. Like, like I said, I saw the twist coming from a mile away. So they're clearly not that surprising, which me for me, which means that they probably shocked the fuck out of most people watching the show, and it's probably why they liked it so much. Um, but again, my point that I made in the last episode, where I don't trust people to tell me what's good, this is why, is that like this is the kind of thing that people that the majority of people that people quote unquote as a whole tend to enjoy on. A streamer like Netflix it's why I haven't watched so many of these things people are like you have to watch this is because I feel like when I do I'm let down because if most people like it it is not good it is dumb I'm sorry I'm gonna keep saying it like this was not terrible there are definitely I've definitely watched worse things but it was not I could have been watching other things It was not the best way to spend 10 episodes of a TV series and my time. Do I regret it? Not entirely, but am I glad I did it? No, (laughs) I'm not. There are like, when there, I'm sorry, but this is why I don't watch things that people tell me to watch. I fell for it this time though. I told you on the last episode, sometimes I fall for it. I fell for it this time. I saw that ad on Goodreads multiple times. I read those reviews. I read the audience reactions. I was like, well, the critics and the audience agree. Maybe this is not bad. And it wasn't bad, but it was not good. <sighs> but the whole season is streaming now on Netflix and it got renewed for season two. So like, I don't know. Watch me watch all of season two. This is what I do. This is what this is why I hate myself. <laughs> is that I will... Bitch and moan and complain and hate something or dislike something or come on this podcast and be like, it sucked, don't watch it. And then I will watch season two. I'll do it. I'll do it. Something will keep me coming back. I don't know if it's hopes of seeing more of Shirtless Peter. That's the other thing I liked about him. Is that like, even though he wasn't always the best actor, that kid was good. I keep calling him a kid. He's my age. That, That guy was good. Gabriel Basso. He was good and he wasn't bad. He was, let's not say he was good. He wasn't bad. Um, but like, he also was like a real person. He wasn't whoever the dude is that plays Jack Reacher on that Amazon show. He wasn't that like, there was a scene where he takes his shirt off and he's getting like a wound tended to, which also how stupid that he has like a tech CEO stitch him. I digress, takes a shirt off (laughs) and he's getting, um, a wound stitched. And like, he's a regular person. Like he's not ripped. He's not you know, he, he's he's not, like, rippling eight-pack and giant pecs. He's got hair on his chest. He's got some tattoos. And then he sits there with his shirt off. And, like, when he sits there, he, like, has some skin rolls, which is fucking normal. Like, it's not fat. It's just skin. I enjoyed seeing that shit. Normalize normal fucking bodies and make them hot because they're hot. And this isn't even normal. This, like, this is a great body. But because we're so used to seeing people who, like, have literally zero percent fat in rolls like this, it looked like a normal body. I don't know why I decided I needed to talk about that, but I did. I enjoyed seeing Gabriel Basso with no shirt on. That is your takeaway for this episode. He's full of piss and vinegar, let's go with no shirt on. I think I'm done with night agent. (laughs) This is an unhinged episode, my apologies. I'm gonna take a sip of water. Okay, the other thing, I've already been talking for 40 fucking minutes, but the other thing I did wanna touch on was the new seasons of Yellow Jackets started and it's been two episodes. And I am so sorry to say that I am not loving it. Um, I talked about season one. It was one of my favorite shows of 2021, even though it ended at the beginning of 2022. The first season overall was so riveting, so dark and compelling. The mystery was great. The acting is, that was me doing a chef's kiss if you couldn't tell. It's just, it was so good. It was enthralling. It was, like, there was mystery, and there was drama, but it was also comedic. And Christina Ricci felt like she was in a different show than everyone else. Still kind of does, but I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in the show she's in this season than the one that everyone else is. And it was just so good. It was queer, and it was weird, and it was dark. And I loved season one. So I was super excited for season two to start. And um, I don't know if I was just like, if I'm expecting too much, if I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I am not fully on board yet for season two over the course of the first couple episodes. Um, I think part of it is that Christina Ricci as Misty is wonderful. I love her on this. I love her character. But she does very much feel like she is in a comedy and everyone else is in a very serious mystery drama thriller. And that, like, tonal disconnect is getting more pronounced this season because they have added a character for her to, like, collaborate with, I want to say, who's going to be played by Elijah Wood. Um, I don't think we, we haven't really seen him yet as of the end of episode two, but he's in the preview for episode three. And so like, that's making that storyline more pronounced and more obviously different than the rest of the show. And we're finally getting into the cannibalism that was hinted at in season one. And uh, not that it's, I mean, it's disturbing obviously, but it's also just, I don't know, I guess because, is I don't I didn't find it that shocking when we got to it I didn't find it that weird emotional weirdly like I just I found I found it kind of funny honestly um, that at the end of episode two we get this like I'm so sorry I should have said spoiler you probably have seen it by now it came out on Friday it's this is coming out on Monday the episode aired last night you if you've avoided this spoiler good fucking for you. I I couldn't have I watched the episode like literally less than eight hours after it came out and I couldn't even avoid the spoiler before I got to watch the episode so anyway Um, I found it more funny I don't know if that's because of the editing or the writing or like the way that it was shot the way that they were I have no idea but it was weird when they started when you know that now we're they're they're eating each other (laughs) cool um but i don't i don't know if it's that like i don't care as much about some of the characters and they're getting screen time like i don't care about ty as an adult this season very much i it's like her whole storyline of the sleepwalking and the trauma sleep the trauma sleepwalking that's not and like killing animals randomly that's not all that interesting to me um her relationship and her with her uh wife and her child is not all that interesting to me her political aspirations are definitely not interesting to me I just I do, I don't I don't I don't know I in season one when Shauna was trying to cover up her affair and then had to like cover up the murder of Adam like that was interesting but now it's just like it's being drawn out you know what I mean like okay it happened let's find we need to move on. I don't know. Then there's like in the flashbacks, there's just a shit ton of yellow jackets that are still alive who I have no idea who the hell they are. That they're just, they'll, they'll back and they'll show them eating dinner and I'm like, who the fuck is that? I don't know you as an adult. So like, are you the next one to be cooked? I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But then also just like, I've been thinking about the logistics of this show and it's moving too slowly for what I feel like we know has to happen. Um, so like, we know they're in the wilderness for, I think like a year, maybe two. And, but then we also know that like, when you're filming a TV show, you need to fucking, if you're going to keep, if there's a finite end to this, you need to film it because at some point the teenagers are going to not look like fucking teenagers anymore. And it's going to be even more unrealistic that they, like we saw them get rescued because it was filmed two years ago. And now we're in season four and they're still in the wilderness. They look like they're 40. We already saw them get saved and looking like they're, you know, 25. When they should look like they're 17. (laughs) Anyway. I don't really know what it is that I'm not connecting with this season. Um, I, yeah, I I wish, I wish that I did. I, the introduction of Lottie as an adult is just kind of like, okay. They seem to be leaning very much into this, like, uh, realism versus spirituality thing. And... I don't know, that's not all that interesting to me. Like, I don't really care about the drama in the flashbacks. Like, I don't care to see how they're living their everyday lives and, like, their mental states as they're in the wilderness starving to death. I can pretty much guess that they're going crazy. So I don't need to see it happen time after time. So I kind of want the flashbacks to get a fucking move on. I don't care about Coach Ben. I'm tired of, like, the focus on Javi when we know what happens to him because we saw it happen in season one. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting bored with it. And I'm, that makes me sad because I was very much looking forward to this season. But I'm hoping it picks up at some point because I, it is a long season. There's at least 10 episodes. This one might be even more. This might be 12. I forget. And this is two episodes that we've watched. So there's a lot more to come. And I just hope it gets more exciting and I feel like that's a weird thing to say considering episode two ended with like them feasting on the dead body of their friend but I don't know that's where I'm at <laughs> um yeah it's the acting is still great I will say Melanie Linsky is good Juliette Lewis steals every episode Christina in this season Christina Ricci is so good um I mentioned Sarah Desjardins who plays Callie or DeJardin. I don't know how she says her name uh shauna's daughter she is not very good on this show but then again it's like she's a teenage girl on a tv show and i'm tired of these if there's a teenage if there's one thing about hollywood and making tv shows it's that they will make a tv show with a teenage girl on it and they will make her the worst person alive without fail go back to the 90s when the wb was doing dramas teenage girls are the worst and like the epitome of it to me was dana on homeland she is the all-time worst But, like, if there's a teenage girl on a show, she's going to suck. And she just sucks on this one. She's an asshole. She's a terrible character. You know, she's doing what she can. But she's just, oh, it's annoying. And the fact she's getting so much more screen time, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't need it. Okay, I think that's it that I have for Yellow Jacks. I just wanted to dip in a little bit and share my kind of, like, sadness that I'm not loving this season. But hopefully everyone else is. Oh, and also, this is just a pro tip. Um, If you're on Twitter, don't click the Yellow Jackets hashtag. It's a fucking mess. The people on that hashtag need help. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But it is unhinged and not in like the fun, girl, you crazy way that this episode, I feel like, started out. Um, In like a, wow, you really need like a job or an actual hobby. Like you need to learn how to knit or write poetry or something because the fact that, like, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of accounts that are just focused on, like, shipping characters on this show. Like, lesbian mafia online weird shit. And it's, like, thousands of likes and retweets on these random, crazy tweets. And it's just, like, like, I clicked on the hashtag to see, like, what other people were thinking to be like, am I alone in this? And you can't even get people's thoughts because it's just like girls, I'm assuming because they all, they're all talking about how fantastically lesbian everything is on this show. Just like obsessively tweeting about Jackie, the dead girl and how beautiful she is. And like wanting her and Shauna to be a couple in the afterlife, and I'm like, this is, this is weird, this is fucking weird. Um, yeah, I don't like it. <clears throat> don't click on that yellow jackets hashtag. Okay, recommendation. There were like fifty things I wanted to recommend this week. Um, one I'll probably save for the next episode because I haven't finished it yet. So I feel like maybe I should finish it before I recommend it. Um, I wanted to recommend some like holiday things because uh, this is the last episode before both Passover and Easter. And I think last year, my recommendation was my all-time favorite Easter special, which is Here Comes Peter Cottontail by Rankin and Bass. I think I recommended that last year. Uh, That's still on YouTube. Go look for it. Uh, I love it. I'm going to watch it this week sometime. That was going to be a recommendation, but I think I already did that last year. So My actual recommendation is a new series that started on AMC a couple weeks ago. And um, it's called Lucky Hank. It's based on the book Straight Man by Richard Russo. And it's not going to be for everyone. But it's kind of the antithesis of shows like The Night Agent. And I'll tell you why. So just like I've been saying, I don't trust when everyone likes something because it means it's probably not good, it means it's probably stupid. If everyone hates something, like if people hate something but critics like it, to me that says this show is probably too smart for those people. That's what Lucky Hank is. If you Google Lucky Hank, the Google reviews are wretched. It's all people who are like, this is woke bullshit. Um, This isn't like Better Call Saul at all because Bob Odenkirk who was in Better Call Saul is in it. And that, to me, is, like, why you have to watch it. Because if it's pissing off people because it's, you know, about, like, the liberal elites, it's probably good. And this is. It is about a uh, small-town university English professor who has a midlife crisis. That's basically the whole plot. (laughs) Uh, He's, like... He's the department chair at the, in the English department at this, like, very small liberal arts college in the middle of Pennsylvania. And he just one day snaps in his creative writing class where, like, he has a student who thinks he's brilliant and he's not. And he tells him that. He's like, if you were brilliant, you wouldn't be at this college. So I'm sorry that you think that you are the next J.D. Salinger but you're not. If you were the next J.D. Salinger, you would not be sitting in this room with me, a failed novelist." (laughs) And I was like, now I'm a community college English professor, so I uh, relate. (laughs) Every fucking day I teach, I come home, and it's a new level of misery for me with my students every day of every week of every semester. Like I said, I'll be going in my tenth year this fall, and the landscape has changed so much. And this, Lucky Hank doesn't even touch on that, but I'm going to make this about me. <laughs> my recommendation is about me. Um, it's like the caliber of student has changed so drastically, and the caliber of work, and the like commitment to education, everything. It's just, it's all gone so downhill. And now we're competing with like fucking AI and everything that it's, it's wild. And every day when I come home and I'm like, you know, well, I have 24 kids on my roster and 11 showed up to class today. And of those 11, two did the reading. It's, it's, it's a wild West out there um, in higher education. So that coupled with my master's degree in English (laughs) uh, at a small liberal arts college makes me appreciate Lucky Hank so much. It is so funny. Like the pomp and bullshit that goes on in English department is so painfully accurate and so funny in how accurate it is. Like I know every single one of these professors where there's like the flowery poetry professor who makes you buy her textbook to take her class and every copy she sells is that is just out of the school bookstore um she's like i'm the preeminent scholar of whatever bullshit you know poet and it's like yes you are the only scholar on that whatever bullshit poet (laughs) and there's people who've like well i've been here for 50 years so i need my own parking space and everyone wanting to overthrow the department chair because they just wanna be it themselves. And then like in the second episode, I have to tell this story. I'm sorry, this is gonna be so uninteresting to so many of you, but why this is my recommendation is episode two is called George Saunders. And if you do not know who George Saunders is, he is the current like preeminent short story writer in America. He wrote uh, 10th of December, and I forget what his most recent book that just came out last year is. And he wrote the novel, Lincoln in the Bardo. And New York Times bestseller, very well known. He's the type of reader that appeals, I think, to both academics because he is so good at crafting and also to the common person because they feel smart reading him. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at myself because that's accurate. Like He's a New York Times bestseller, but then also, like, how many of you have read George Saunders? Raise your hand in your car or in your shower right now. I'm betting none of you. <laughs> yeah, he's a New York Times bestseller and <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, so in the second episode, he comes to visit the college campus, and this is hysterical to me because when I was getting my master's degree at the College of New Jersey, I George Saunders visited our campus and did the same thing in this episode with, with my campus. And he's not—it's not even George Saunders; it's an actor playing George Saunders. But it was so spot on the way they wrote his character and what he's doing at this college that I, I laughed the whole fucking episode. I could not I, like just randomly. I would laugh and I'm like, well, when George Saunders came to my school, I made a complete ass myself, just like all these teachers are doing where they're like having these little department fights and then looking at me like, Oh shit, George Saunders in the room. And then all of a sudden it's me like, I, I, I loved victory lap <laughs> because when I was, okay, here's the story. When I was going to my master's, uh, my professor, um, for one of my classes, at the time, I took her a couple of times. As an undergrad, I took her for contemporary lit, but I was taking her for, um, I think it was called The Art of the Short Story. And we had read George Saunders. Um, we'd read, I think it was Pastorelia, I think was what we had read. And uh, professor Katie Rosemarkey, who was a poet and wonderful in her own right, who was teaching his class, had arranged for George Saunders to come to our campus and give like a lecture and talk to us, talk to her classes. And I, as a grad student, was able, we were allowed to park in the faculty parking lot, which was like so much. It was right behind the building, the English building, whereas like the student lots were like a half a mile away. So I'm walking to my car and I see Katie and it's, I was like going to get dinner or something. And she's like, oh, hey, John, you know, good to see you. What are you, what are you doing? And we're just like making small talk. And I was like, I'm going to get dinner, but I'll be back because I'm going to go to to the George Saunders talk. Are you going to George Saunders? And I look over and she's with someone who I have not acknowledged at this point because I don't know him. And she turns to him and goes, Yes, I'm taking George Saunders to the George Saunders talk tonight. And she's laughing and I'm just mortified. And I'm staring at him like, and like, because part of the conversation we had just been having was about his fucking short stories that we had read. Like we were talking about the event and she's talking to me as if he's not standing right next to her i was like oh hi i'm so sorry i didn't recognize you and he brushed it off and he was like please i would have thought it was weirder if you did recognize me and i shook his hand and he was very nice and his talk was great and actually again laughing at this episode because they mentioned victory lap in the episode and that's the story that he read at this lecture before it published in 10th of december I'm sorry, this is like, maybe you probably, I don't know if anybody else will like this show, but I feel like it was made for me. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever watch a TV show and you're like, this was made for an audience of one and I am that one. That's how I feel about Lucky Hank. And again, if you look at the reviews by other people, they fucking hate it because it is so niche, but it is niche in the best way for me personally, as a person who went to a small liberal arts college, majored in English, teaches English in a dysfunctional community college setting. It's a fucking plus. I love it so much. It airs Sundays at nine o'clock on AMC. The first episode you can watch on YouTube, actually. And it's also on AMC Plus if you have that. But like if you have AMC in any way to watch it, please do. It is so fucking funny. I can't I, I love it so much. It's Bob Odenkirk, like I mentioned, from Better Call Saul. It's uh Mi Enos from The Killing and World War Z, and I'm sure she's done other stuff since then. Um <clears throat> it's I love it so much. Uh, what I forget his name, but the guy who was on Speechless, uh, who played the caretaker on Speechless, I forget. He's very fun. It's, it's just, it's great. It's so great. It's so great. I fucking love it. It's so funny. It's I currently like the thing I look forward to watching the most every week. It's Lucky Hank. Please watch it because no one else is. <laughs> Okay, that does it for me this week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake Tea. Oh, actually, apparently, I'm supposed to say this. Um, so a podcasting friend, um, pointed out that I should be asking you to like rate and review the podcast. So if you want to do that, please feel free. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily buy that this does shit for shit, but apparently, like ratings. Like, if you just click stars on your podcasting app, like, especially, I guess, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, it's helpful because there's an algorithm where, like, the more ratings and the higher the rating, the more people they show this to. I don't necessarily care about growing an audience. I don't really give a shit. If I cared about an audience, I would have stopped doing this podcast years ago because there's very few of you who listen anymore. But that's okay. I don't care. This is for me. This is for me to, like, get my feelings and out and to entertain myself as you can tell from this episode um but also spotify because this is this podcast is now hosted by spotify for podcasters so feel free to like rate review whatever the fuck i don't know i don't care but I'm, apparently i'm supposed to be saying that because of quote unquote the algorithm anyway thank you for tuning in to this episode of fake tv critic <laughs> i'll be back uh with another episode uh soon with more recaps, reviews analyses and recommendations have a good week everyone